0: Thank you, Brother Jody, sure appreciate that. And uh, the darker this world gets, uh, the better heaven sounds. Yeah. And uh, sure, looking forward to uh, being in God's presence eternally one day. And uh, who knows? It could be today that He returns. And uh, sure, looking forward to that. Appreciate the uh, the song, Brother Jody, is a blessing. Amen. Well, we're in Ecclesiastes chapter seven <clears throat> here this morning. Ecclesiastes and chapter number seven. <clears throat> We're uh, continuing on kind of a series within a series. Uh, This is what I call Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, or Wisdom in the Book of Ecclesiastes, and um, just kind of uh, through chapter 7, we're going to be here for some time just because you have to take each uh, verse or two by itself. There's a lot going on, Uh, but I believe it'll be a help and a blessing as we do so. Uh, Hopefully, we've been encouraged thus far as we've gone through it. And uh, as uh, Brother Garrett mentioned earlier, I do appreciate your attendance here this morning. I uh, never want to take it for granted uh, that you choose uh, to get up on Sunday morning and be here. And uh, it's, a, it's a tremendous blessing and uh, that you decide to follow the Lord and be faithful to His house. It's pretty awesome, and uh, it's a great, great blessing. Uh, just want to remind you, if you're not in the habit of coming on Sunday nights, you might want to come uh, this evening. Uh, we've got a premier speaker that's going to be here tonight. Um, our, uh, our new staff, uh, Brother Garrett um, Gaioso, is going to be speaking for us this evening. going to be preaching and uh, preaching from Psalm 139. And I uh, hope you'll be here to uh, encourage him and make him nervous all at the same time. And uh, no, I, I still remember uh, my first Sunday uh, here. And I had been uh, in full-time ministry at that point for, <clears throat> what, I don't know. Ten years, eleven years, something like that, and had been pastoring for almost eight years. Uh, so I guess it had been 12 years full-time ministry, and uh, so this is kind of their their first go at all this. Not his first go at preaching, but uh, at uh, full-time ministry. And uh, I'm excited about being able to let the church hear him preach this evening, and I know he's got a good heart and wants to deliver God's word promptly and correctly, and so uh, sure looking forward to that uh, this evening. So I hope you make plans to be here tonight at 6:30, uh, even if you're not in the habit of being here on Sunday night. Uh, I hope you'll be here uh, this evening. It's going to be a great service uh, tonight. All right, Ecclesiastes chapter seven. If you found your place there and you're able to. Let's stand together as we read God's word and give attention to what He has for us here this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter number seven, and let's start reading there in verse number five. I'll read out loud, you follow along silently. Ecclesiastes 7.5, it says it this way, It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This also is vanity. Just point out something here real quick. In verse number five, notice there it says it's better to hear the rebuke of the wise. It sounds like a singular, somebody saying something, than to give attention to the song of fools, plural. Sometimes the majority isn't always right. And so we're going to talk about this here this morning, that it's better to listen to the rebuke of the wise, the rebuke of the wise. So may God bless the reading of His Word. You can be seated, and thank you for standing uh, in honor of God's Word here this morning. Man has a tendency to want to only hear good things about themselves. Yeah, we could uh, sure come up with lots of stories and go down the list of all the ways that we like to hear good things about us instead of critical things about us. If you were given the opportunity this morning to have somebody say something very positive about you or for somebody to correct you, uh, I think we would almost get 100% participation that we would rather have somebody say something Uh, encouraging and something of an accolade, wow, this is really wonderful, you did this really well, than to hear a criticism or a critique or a correction. It's just part of human nature. Uh, After I'd been in Bible college for uh, three years, um, after my junior year, I was presented the opportunity, kind of a last-minute opportunity, uh, to intern uh, up at the church there that's kind of over Heartland at Southwest Baptist Church. And so they were kind of in a transitional time. Uh, They had just voted that in a year from that point, Brother Gaddis would become the pastor and Brother Sam would no longer be the pastor. So there was a lot of transition that was going on there. One of the transitions was Brother Greg Smith, who is probably the biggest goof-off that was on staff there, pretty close. He was over the children's ministry and the bus ministry, so he was allowed to do that. Uh, He had been there for probably, I don't know, 15 years at that point, had been there for a good long while, and he was over the interns. There were three of us. Well, with all the shifts and the movements that were going on, that passed from Brother Greg Smith, who was fun-loving and light-hearted, to Brother Rick Williams. Now, for those who know those people, you would understand Brother Rick Williams is the exact opposite of a Greg Smith. Rick Williams was one who was very uh, intentional, very strict and very um, purposeful with everything that he did. So what turned into a fun summer of ministry now didn't turned into boot camp ministry. <laughs> very quickly, like I'm not even—I don't even know how to quantify all of this. But <clears throat> so that summer, uh, we not only were in charge of a lot of maintenance things at the church. And responsible for being involved in certain ministries, but then what got added on top of that was we had to keep a ministry journal, a personal journal. We had to read five books, and we had to have all these other things that it were. Was, it was insane. So, on what turned from the fun-loving summer to a working summer turned into this. Most days were like sixteen to eighteen hours of work, and usually, then were followed by sharp criticism and critique about how we failed and didn't do it correctly. Now, for me, at that moment in my life, I wasn't prepared for that. I'll just be completely transparent and honest. I thought I was doing pretty good. Now, again, I'm just going to toot my own horn here for a second, just so this story hits like it's supposed to. I was one of the RAs, so they only had three of those. So of all the students, I got selected to be in charge of one of the dorms. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Yeah, thank you, thank you. I was also a bus captain of the largest bus at the church. Okay, you don't have to clap, guys. Please don't. That's making it feel bad. But it should be a little cringy that I'm saying it this way. But anyways, I was driving the bus and had grown the bus. It was doing really well with the bus ministry there. We had another ministry called Neighborhood Bible Time, which was like a VBS thing, and I got to do the preaching for that. That was pretty awesome. And then I also was one of the team leaders for the Sunday school class. They had just divided it up. Our Sunday school class there, just so this makes sense, the Sunday school class ran about five to 600 people. Yeah, so I was one of the six people that was in charge of a big group, and we had to put together activities and had people underneath of us and stuff. Now, all I'm saying is I can keep going. I, I can keep going. <laughs> but I was doing pretty good in life, I thought. Like I had worked hard, I was about to be a senior. But Rick, what Rick Williams saw was some deficiencies that I didn't see. Isn't that often the case with people that are over us spiritually or teachers in our life, coaches in our life? They see things that maybe we're blind to. And thank God that they do. And so he saw some things in my life that were deficiencies. And he created the environment intentionally of pressure and heat so that those deficiencies would rise to the surface. And like a masterful teacher, he could go and start pushing those buttons. And push he did. By about the third month of this, towards the end of the summer, I had some keys. The church had a massive thing of keys. I took them up and I threw it to him. And I go, I'm going home. I'm done. And he had to sit me down for like two hours and hash out a bunch of stuff because I had reached a breaking point. Now that breaking point was gonna go in one of two directions. It was either gonna be me quitting or me finally reaching the point where I said, these deficiencies must be addressed. Now, uh, as I look back, that honestly, I can be totally transparent and say this, that was one of the worst summers of my life. Would I ever wanna repeat it? No, absolutely not, it was awful. It was terrible but I wouldn't trade it for anything Amen. Amen. actually I can say I would not be the man I am today had it not been for that summer had it not been for somebody willing to put in the time and energy instead of it just being a fun loving summer said no there's some deficiencies in some young men that need to be worked out and somebody who lovingly corrected me now I'll be honest, the laughter of fools oftentimes sounds better than the criticism and the critique of the wise. Because nobody in their human nature wants to be corrected or criticized or critiqued or told that they're doing something wrong. But sometimes the greatest thing that could happen in our life is to have somebody with a Christ-like spirit come along and correct us, And help us see that we are deficient spiritually and try to encourage us to live like God wants us to live. And so Solomon comes here in this text and presents this very idea of a stark difference between the wise and the fool and their interactions with us and how they give advice. Now, before we really dig into this, there's kind of one of two options here the wise and the fool. These characters are found a lot in the book of Proverbs, just kind of give a quick rundown. The wise is one who is willing to not only receive instruction, but then act upon that instruction. It's not enough just to hear it, you got to do it too. And so the wise person in the book of Proverbs is one who is willing to listen to wise counsel and then follow through and do what's been asked. The fool is on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. There's lots of characters in the book of Proverbs, but this one is the worst of them all. The fool is the one who in his heart says, there is no God. The fool is the one who, being engaged by God's word, sits there and goes, I don't even care what God's word says. It's an exact opposite end of the spectrum. Now you have other people like the scorner and the slothful and the simple that are found in the book of Proverbs, but Here in Ecclesiastes, which reads a lot like the book of Proverbs, you have these two characters, these two extremes that are presented before us, and the responses that they give. Now, I'll just let you know in your life, you probably have people that are wise, and you probably have people that are fools that you have interaction with. At work, in your family, maybe even at church. That can happen. That there can be those interactions that we have with those. So Solomon writes about what that looks like. Well, according to verse number five, we can ask this question, who are you listening to? See, because it's important who you have or who you're allowing yourself to listen to. We have opportunity in, in our life to open up our life to influence from people. We allow people to influence us, and we allow people where they don't have the opportunity to influence us. So he presents these two groups. So again, we've already kind of identified them, but let me kind of do it in the context of this verse. So the first one is the wise. The wise, obviously, is somebody who is willing to rebuke when necessary. Somebody who lives in a realm of not only receiving God's truth, but then acting on it, is somebody where if he loves somebody and has a relationship with somebody, and they have some deficiency, he wants to help them live a wise life. That's a part of wisdom. And so he's willing to rebuke and lovingly encourage people to grow closer to Christ. So let me kind of take this out of a spiritual realm, maybe into a practical realm so that it it makes sense in our world. Um, Say a guy's working at a machine shop with some dangerous machines that are there. So he's a machinist, he's working around dangerous equipment, and as he's working here at the job, the boss comes around, or the foreman, whichever one it is, comes around and identifies he's using one of these machines in a dangerous way. So he pulls them aside, and maybe even in a pointed and almost critical way, hey man, we're not going to use the machine that way. You're going to hurt yourself, or you're going to hurt me or somebody else in this shop. That's dangerous, and you're not going to do that. Okay, that would be somebody who understands the consequences of using a machine incorrectly. He not only has the instruction of what can happen, but he himself has lived it, and now he's seeing somebody behaving dangerously with the machine. So what does he do? He pulls him aside and in a stern and direct way gives him the instruction. Okay, so that's a practical example of wise. The other group is the fool. The fool here is someone who is identified as somebody who has flattering or uh, colorful, wonderful language that they present to people. This is the person who may or may not notice the areas of lack in your life, but either way, they're unwilling to address them because they don't want you to dislike them. They just want to be your buddy. So back to our illustration here, bringing it into a practical realm, out of the spiritual realm. So the machine shop over here, the boss comes along, sharply criticizes, gives wisdom. And then here comes the lazy guy in the shop. The one who's always goofing off and doesn't really get work done. And he comes along, because this is how fools walk. (laughs) Hey, bud, I heard the boss talk to you. Don't sweat it, man. I've been working here for years, and I do it that way on the machine all the time. Don't listen to that guy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Actually, let me show you a more easy way to do it. I don't know. Okay, real-life scenario of the wise and the fool. Maybe even in your life you've experienced some of that before, where there's somebody who is in maybe in a position of authority or maybe not in a position of authority, but somebody who has experience and wisdom and tries to impart that to you, and it might not be in a loving way. Sometimes people aren't very loving when they give wisdom, but it's delivered in such a way of saying, you're wrong, you need to correct this. And then along comes the fool with flattering and sweet words because he doesn't want you to feel bad and because he doesn't want to hurt your feelings and because he wants to be lazy and doesn't want to follow the rules that are there, comes along and says, you know, you're really an awesome guy, and you're just so wonderful, and you don't need to change anything, forget everything that you've just heard, this is where you need to be. Okay, You see the dynamic of the difference between the wise and the fool and the information that's given there. Now, uh, obviously, man has a tendency to only like to hear from the fool. If you're in that situation and you're working hard on this machine and the foreman comes along and gives you correction, you go, that wasn't very nice and I'm trying really hard. Does he not notice how hard I'm trying? How dare he correct me in this? So when the fool comes along and says that, you go, yeah, that's right. I am working hard and there's nothing wrong with what I'm doing. Nobody's going to get hurt. Nothing bad's happened yet. We enjoy hearing from the fool. We would rather hear those flattering words that come from him. The song of the fools. Actually, according to the verse here, you have the boss who gives the instruction, and then it would be multiple guys that come up and maybe sing the song of the fools to them. Let's be honest. We would rather hear positive things than hear correction, reproof, and instruction. I think about when I was a child, Uh, probably all of you can relate to this, Uh, my father, I would much rather hear, well done, than to hear him say, you messed up. Come on, between the two, which one would you rather hear from a parental authority or somebody over you in that way? Now, I do need to be very clear on this because we're going to fall heavy on the side of correction this morning. But there does need to be words of affirmation and positive things that can be spoken. Uh, Actually, throughout the New Testament, and actually the whole Bible, there are great encouragement for us to speak positive words. There's a big difference between speaking true positive words, though, and the Song of Fools. Again, in the same illustration, if the boss came by and saw that the guy was doing a really good job on the machinist job there, and he came along and he's like, You're doing an awesome job you're following the safety regulations, you're you're putting out production good, you've got a good attitude, you're encouraging people that are around you, you're doing an excellent job. That is highly praised in the scripture and there's a big difference between that and the Song of Fools. The Song of Fools is somebody that comes along and contradicts wisdom because they're unwilling to correct. So there's a huge difference between the two. So don't misalign what I'm thinking or what we're talking about here. Now, in verse number 6, here's where the big problem comes in. The problem of the foolish song is that it is short-lived. So he gives an illustration here. He mentions it's like the crackling of the thorns in the fire. Now, me being the uh, pyro I was as a child, I always enjoyed playing with fire. Any other pyros in the, uh, the group here? Amen. Praise the Lord. The rest of y'all need to start living. Amen. <laughs> but... Uh, I don't enjoy it as much now, but when I was a kid, if I could light something on fire, I was going to light it on fire. It's a wonder it didn't burn our house down. But when we go camping, uh, inevitably you just start grabbing any and everything that's around and kind of throw it in the fire, see what it does. Just pray it doesn't blow up or do something weird, you know. And, and your parents aren't around when you're doing that. Kids, don't, don't do anything I'm talking about right here. But anyways, um, so I, I can distinctly remember the first time I'd ever done this. I thought it was the coolest thing. You get some um, still kind of growing and vining thorns and pull it off and throw it into the fire. And anything green will do this, but I don't know what it is that's unique about the, the thorns that are there. They would burn up like super quick because they're just real thin. There's not much there to them. But they would crackle like crazy. I mean, even the dead stuff would just kind of snap and crackle and pop, you know, like Rice Krispies. Yeah. So, anyways, it just snapping and crackling and all this stuff. So, anyways, it's a really cool thing that it does, but as far as fires go, it doesn't really help the fire any. Actually, if you're honest with yourself, if it pops enough, it actually is detrimental to the fire. Stuff popping in the fire usually pops things out of the fire and gets fire where fire's not supposed to be, and causes problems. Amen. So what he says here is, is the song of the fools is like the crackling of these thorns. So imagine somebody's got a pot of food, and they're trying to cook. They're trying to produce something beneficial. So they've got good logs, and they've wor- you know, worked the fire down. It's the right kind of heat, and they're, they're cooking a pot of stew or something over this campfire. And then some little kid comes along with a handful of thorns and he goes, (laughs) and throws them in the fire. And then what was a peaceful, beneficial fire that has been producing food now has turned into a crackling, popping mess that burst into flames and then goes down to nothing. And whoever's cooking is sitting there going, oh, the kid that did it. Now, here's... Solomon's point, just like that does in a physical fire, that's exactly what the song of the fools does. He says it's like their laughter. It's loud, it's crackling, it's popping. It resounds beautifully in our ears for a short time, but it produces nothing of lasting meaning. It might make you feel good and produce heat in the moment, and it might produce a lot of noise, but in the long run, it'll never cook anything. In the long run, it never does anything beneficial. And all you're left with is a pile of ashes and no benefit. So Solomon's encouragement is here that we should love, rebuke. We should cherish and hold to rebuke of the wise. And we should uh, shun or ignore the laughter and the, and the, the mockery of fools who produce all kinds of flavorful and wonderful things in our ears, but it doesn't do anything for us. You know, this is backed up in other passages of Scripture in the Bible. In Proverbs chapter 9, and verse number 8, Miss Kim, if you want to put that up there, it says this, Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. Are they not up there, Ms. Kim? Then we will let them die. There's no verses. You just have to listen, you can't read. All right, here we go. <clears throat> Proverbs 13:1 then says this A wise son heareth his father's instruction, but a scorner heareth not rebuke. Proverbs 27 5 says, Open rebuke is better than secret love. Psalm 141 5, it would go on and say this Let the righteous smite me, it shall be a kindness. And let him reprove me. It shall be an excellent oil, which shall not break my head, for yet my prayer also shall be in their calamities. Proverbs 19, 25 says it this way. Smite a scorner, and the simple will beware. And reprove one that hath understanding, and he will understand knowledge. Here's the thing the Bible talks about. Somebody who loves truth, when they are rebuked, will appreciate the rebuke because it makes them better as a person. What does that look like? Well, it looks like this. If the guy that's working at the machine shop, back to our practical example, is the guy at the machine shop says this, I want to be a good employee. I want to get a raise. I want to be beneficial for this company. That's his mindset and his heart. When the boss comes by and with years of wisdom and experience at that very machine, pulls him aside and says, you know, from years of experience, I know this what you're doing is dangerous and you need to be doing it this way. That individual if he is wise will say this, I want to be in a position like that as guy is one day. So I'm going to listen to what he has said and I'm going to follow that instruction. I have received it. It's not it's not foolish. It's not unwise. What he's told me is accurate. It's true. It's backed up. It's been verified. It's coming from a place of authority. He knows this machine, and I can trust that guy. And so then saying this, I'm going to do it because that's wise. So then when the crackling of fools comes, he says this, I don't care really what you have to say. The praise is nice, but I would rather receive the instruction because I want to be made better. Now here's the problem with that. We don't always like instruction and correction in our life. You ever had somebody criticize you? And you walk away and you're like, what did they know? What did they know? If they knew what was going on in my life, they wouldn't say it that way. Man, that wasn't a very kind way of saying that. Come on, Sometimes we can start to assassinate the person's character without giving much thought to the content of what's been said. Amen. Why? Because we want to justify ourselves. Deep down in our heart, we know what they said is true. We just don't like the way they said it. <laughs> yep. Sometimes, maybe even in a message like this, you walk away and you go, my toes hurt. Whoever was preaching just mashed the toes to pieces. They didn't like that very much. That preacher could have been more loving. His delivery was a little stale, right? I'll take it, that's fine. Loving correction, right? But I'll say this, sometimes maybe it's not so much the delivery that you're mad at, it's the message that maybe you're mad at. And you've deflected that. Yep. In in our mind, all I'm simply saying is because I've experienced this before, that summer when that happened with Brother Rick Williams, everything in my heart was simply saying this, that guy just doesn't understand. That guy doesn't know what's going on. That guy doesn't know who I am and what I've accomplished, right? (laughs) The thing is he did. And that's exactly what he was trying to correct in my life and help with. But I'm telling you, in my mind, I went through every scenario and I came up with every excuse why I didn't need to listen to the content of the wisdom because I could disavow his character. If we're not careful, we'll allow ourselves to do that. So let me give you some, uh, some points of wisdom that will be helpful here uh, on this. So when we love rebuke, what does that look like? Well, when somebody rebukes you, whether it's in a right spirit or in a wrong spirit, and somebody gives you instruction and correction, you're wrong, you need to start doing right, what should be our response? Here's some things that you can do. Let me start with the don'ts, then I'll do the do's. First is this. Don't get mad. You could just stop there and that would be a big one because our first inclination is when somebody corrects us, we get angry. Get very upset. Number two. Don't get defensive, or even worse, offensive. <laughs> Sometimes we can get defensive where we start to get in and of ourselves, and we start to say they don't understand, they don't know. Then we can get offensive when we can start to criticize and attack them when they've given instruction. Number three, don't throw a pity party for yourself. Those are the worst kind of parties to attend—pity parties. But we can be pretty good at them. Isn't it amazing how problems can grow rather large? In our mind's eye, if we allow it to, we allow this person's interaction with us to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And before long, we're sitting uh, in our bed crying and we're like, oh, the whole world hates me and everything's falling apart, everything's awful and I might as well just not even be alive. And it's all from one little event. We can make it bigger, 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 bigger. Listen, don't allow yourself to throw a pity party over that interaction. Number four, don't run to someone who will flatter you with their words. Someone corrects you, And then you run to somebody and they go, oh, they just don't know what they're talking about, honey. Let me tell you everything you need to know. They love on you. Yeah, that can happen. You get corrected maybe in a preaching service like this and you feel the Holy Spirit tugging on you and you know it to be true and yet you maybe run to that person in the church or you call somebody up who you know is going to agree with you and they're going to call them up and they affirm you instead of correct you. Boy, our world is saturated with affirmation. And has it been for the better? Absolutely not. Everybody's wanting to go around and live in uh, oftentimes delusions and want everyone to affirm those things when oftentimes the Bible says what we really need is correction, not affirmation. Yeah. Listen, the Bible says fools will affirm people when they're living in incorrect behavior. But the Bible says that we ought to correct in a loving and right manner. So again, don't run to somebody who's going to Flatter you with their words. The last don't here, don't bash that person and bring up all their failures. It's easy when somebody says some form of correction to find something wrong in their life and say, who are you to tell me what's wrong? You have this problem in your life. Isn't that easy to do? And Easy to deflect and turn it on someone else. So what do you do? The do's. Do, pray about it. One of the greatest things you can do when somebody confronts you with a deficiency in your life is instead of doing all the other stuff, is just to hit your knees and talk to the Lord about it in a private form of prayer and just say, God, this has been brought to my attention. Is it accurate? Is it true? And bring it before the Father. It's amazing how in the calmness of prayer, God and the Holy Spirit can start to do this. Well, that is pretty accurate. And then it's a lot harder to give character assassination when you're dealing with God. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing here on the do's. Do search the scriptures. If somebody has corrected you about maybe uh, anger, look at the scriptures and see, does the Bible have something to say about that? Somebody's corrected you about gossip. Does the Bible have something to say about that? Search the scriptures. See what the Bible has to say. Number three, do seek out other wise counsel on that matter. You know people that are wise in your life, people who love truth and live truth. And so if you've been corrected in an area, run to that person and say, you know, I was corrected in this area and I know you've always given me wise instruction in the past. What do you think about this? Not Don't go to the fool. Go to the wise and get that instruction from them. Another one, do examine your own life to see if it's true or not. A honest self-examination in the mirror Spiritual mirror will do more than anything else, in my personal opinion. We sit down and we honestly start to evaluate, is this accurate? Is it true? Is it true? Hey, okay. do be willing to change. And then the last one here, do thank the person for addressing the issue. That's a hard one. Humble pie be eaten, right? Which is simply this, somebody gives you correction, maybe it's not in the right spirit, but your response then is this, thank you for pointing that out. I want to pray about that and see how God maybe is using you to help me be the right kind of person. On the other side of this, one final thing here, and we'll kind of wrap this up. You as an individual, if you are somebody who loves truth and tries to follow truth, what the Bible defines is this, a wise person, don't miss this, be willing to give loving rebuke. I'm thankful there was a man in my life not just Brother Rick Williams, but many others who invested in my life by rebuking me when I needed it. Because as much as I hated the rebuke, knowing those individuals, they hated it too. I understand that a lot more now being a pastor, that my wife will tell you sometimes I'm just awake for days thinking about a conversation that I know needs to happen, but I don't want to have it. Right? You say this, I know I need to talk to this person about this, but I'm not looking forward to it. Because correction is never fun. I mean, the right kind of parent knows I need to discipline my child, but also the right kind of parent isn't sitting there going, Yes, I can't wait to whoop them again. <laughs> I mean, the right kind of parent doesn't relish those things, but why do we do them then? It's not like we enjoy it, right? Did your parents ever tell you, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you? And now as a parent, I know that's a lie, but <laughs> at least for me. I always thought with my dad, I'm like, we need to trade places then. Let me spank you. Uh, but anyways, but now I, I do kind of understand in some ways that is very true. That when done in the right way, when you're the one disciplining, it sometimes is as hard if not harder than the one that's receiving the discipline. But if we're gonna be the right kind of friend, the right kind of uh, relationship in a family, if we're gonna be the right kind of parent, if we're gonna be the right kind of coworker, correction oftentimes is necessary. Or else we have abdicated our God-given responsibility. We've let it go and said, well, I just don't care, it's not my job, it's not my responsibility. But here's the thing, before God, it is. God's given you that position in their life as an influence for right and good. Maybe spiritually here in this room, there's somebody that you have better influence over than a pastor or an assistant pastor or anybody else does that you can influence them to do more for God than anybody else could. Maybe it is that they need encouragement, but maybe it is that they need correction. Sometimes that's hard. Maybe it is at your job. Maybe the the practical illustration rang true. This is obviously in a spiritual realm, but maybe it's in a practical realm that you walk by those situations and you're like, I'm just going to ignore that I saw that. When instead, really the prompt needs to be in a place of wisdom, have a right spirit, and correct them in a right way and say, I'm doing this because I want you to be better. And I know you want to be better. So receive the correction in a right way. So here's the thing. Receive correction correctly. Love Reproof. Receive it with the right spirit. But also on the other side, be willing to give correction and reproof with a right spirit. Remember in the New Testament where Jesus talks about this? You go around looking at people and you go, You got a beam in your eye. You got a beam in your eye. You got a problem in your eye. Not realizing you're walking around with this big old honking thing hanging out of your eye. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the thing: when we are correcting others. When we first deal with our own deficiencies, before we deal with them, considering yourself, what happens is is you're able to minister to that person with mercy and grace instead of with sharp criticism and anger. And there is a difference. When we start to deal with people with grace, we say this, I've got problems, and I know you do too, and I'm helping you understand. I want to help you with your problem, right? I've dealt with mine, and I want to help you with yours. And I'm telling you, the Bible has replete examples of correction being done in the right way. But here's the thing. Do not despise rebuke. Instead, love the rebuke of the wise. Let's all stand together as we come to a